Welcome to the teaching ministry of Faith Bible Church. We pray as you listen to the following message, you will be encouraged and equipped to passionately pursue Christ. For more information, please visit our website at fbcevansville.com. As a look at, at this, uh, everybody here um, in this class today, if I'm looking at it, I think most of you are members or have been uh, a long-time attenders here at Faith Bible Church, and you have a, a pretty good idea of who we are, what we believe, what we stand for, how we do church, how we think, um, and uh, kind of a, a good understanding of who Faith Bible Church is at the core, and you've decided to stay with us. You're, you're here, you're committed, um, and yeah, you're involved. I think most of us, as I see across here, most of you are involved in some way or another. You're not flies on the wall just sitting there and, and not doing much, um, participating, connected, immersed in this church. I think that, as I, as I look out, I think that'd be true. And um, so, so really, one of the interesting things that I've thought about, like as we're wrapping up this class, is it's, it's kind of interesting then to have all of you come to a class on what makes a healthy church. Because it seems a little kind of out of place, like, well, we're committed to this church, so why, why come and learn about a healthy church? You know, because it could go a few ways. You know, one of the things that this class could have gone or could go on is like, okay, here we all, here are all the things that makes a church healthy. Um, wouldn't it be nice if this was true of our church? Well, that'd be awkward, right? Like, here's the healthy church. One day we hope we can get there at some point. So, it's, you know, the other thing, the other way it could go is like, all right, here are the nine marks of a healthy church, give or take. And um, isn't it great that this is us? Man, we are good. We've nailed it. You know, you, you're at, you pick the right church because we're, we're good, right? Kind of a pat on the back, puff up view. But hopefully it's neither one of those, right? This is uh, one of the things I want to talk about today is like, what do we do with what we've just learned? What is it about all of this, right? Um, you know, years ago, Mark Dever wrote this book, uh, Nine Marks of a Healthy Church, and he had spent time studying God's Word. He had been a pastor for a while. He had spent time in other churches, led his own church there. Um, I don't really know all of his history off the top of my head, but, you know, he had been involved in churches. So he had looked at it, and, and uh, he came up with this list of characteristics that he thought should be present in a healthy church. He's looking at healthy churches. These are the, these are the aspects of these churches that are healthy, that what they have. And so um, that's why he wrote the book. And then around, actually a little more than 30 years ago, Faith Bible Church becomes a church. Um, Pastor Dever wrote his book, and, um, but he had written it after they became a church. And Faith Bible Church and the families that decided to start this church, they had a desire to be a healthy church. And one of the driving factors in starting this church was some unsoundness or some areas in other churches that they felt were not healthy. And so they felt they wanted to start a healthy church. And that's not to say there weren't any good churches during that time here in this area. Um, there were, but, but um, 
they believed in God's word and they felt a responsibility to be biblical in um, all aspects and areas of the church. And so they started Faith Bible Church. And we do believe here at Faith Bible Church that we have these marks of a healthy church. Um, Not that we have it all perfect um, or that, and I've said that early on, there are no perfect churches. There are rooms, to, there are ways and areas where we can grow. Um, and one of the things I want to establish today is that in, this is part of your responsibility as members and attenders of this church, that if there are areas you see that are shortcomings or areas that we are uh, failing in this or not, not meeting the standard of what, we're, what I'm talking about today, you have a responsibility to talk with us and, and help us see that, right? We're not... We can't see all of that. Um, I'm not saying we meet these uh, areas of health in a church and say that we have those as a as an way to say that um, you know I'm not saying that in pride or uh, in arrogance or superiority like um, if you go to another church in Evansville, well now you're going to an unhealthy church because we're a healthy church. Praise God, there are more than one. There's more than one healthy church in Evansville, and we're thankful for that. But what should your takeaway be from this class? I've said this before. I don't want our people coming to this church, sitting under the preaching, going to Sunday school classes, getting in Bible studies, just so you're so much more smarter. So you just have that much more knowledge. Because having knowledge without doing anything with it is a dangerous thing, actually. It's a scary thing. We want to be, take that knowledge and we want to use it in a God-honoring way. We want to use that in a way that builds up the church. So how do we apply what we've learned in this class? If this church has been established, and it has, and it's been a church for decades, which it has, then what role do you play in helping to make this a healthy church? Well, let me start first with a very familiar verse that we have mentioned more than once in this class. It's 1 Corinthians 12, 12 through 27. I'm going to have it up on the screen for you. It's, it's kind of a longer passage here. But it says, For just as the body is one and has many members, and all the members of the body, though many, are one body, so it is with Christ. For in one spirit we were all baptized into one body, Jews or Greeks, slaves or free, and all were made to drink of one spirit. For the body does not consist of one member, but of many. And that's parts. When we talk about members here, another way could say that is body parts. It's the parts of the body. And if the foot should say, because I am not a hand, I do not belong to the body, that would not make it any less a part of the body. And if the ear should say, because I am not an eye, I do not belong to the body, that would not make it any less a part of the body. If the whole body were an eye, where would be the sense of hearing? If the whole body were an ear, where would be the sense of smell? I love this this passage here because it's so practical. You think about the scriptures talking about like parts and a bo- an ear and an eye saying things, but this really helps us to understand where you fit into this. It should help. It, that. But as it is, God arranged the members, the body parts, in the body 
each one of them as he chose. If all were a single member, if all were a single body part, if we all were thumbs, where would the body be? As it is, there are many parts, yet one body. The eye cannot say to the hand, I have no need of you. And again, the head to the feet, I have no need of you. On the contrary, the parts of the body that seem to be weaker are indispensable. And on these parts of the body that we think less honorable, we bestow the greater honor. And our unpresentable parts are treated with greater modesty, which our presentable parts do not require. But God has so composed the body, giving greater honor to the part that lacked it, that there may be no division in the body, but that the members may have the same care for one another. If one member suffers, all suffer together. If one member is honored, all rejoice together. Now you are the body of Christ and individually members of it. We have uh, a number of people that are in the process of becoming members. They've taken the newcomers class, filled out the membership application. We're going through the interviews and meeting with them. And I was meeting with a, uh, a lady just the other day. And she was going to become a member. And so I asked her, why did she want to become a member of Faith Bible Church? And her response was, well, I'm a thumb. And so I kind of laughed like, oh, she's kind of, you know. And I laughed first. I thought she was joking. And then I could tell she wasn't joking. So then my thought was, oh, she's like putting herself down like, I'm just like a thumb. Like, you know, nothing. But then she continued on and she was recognizing a thumb is very necessary in the body. In, in our physical body, it's, it's really hard to pick up a cup without a thumb, you know? Um, and that's what she was communicating, that it may not be that big of a part. Thumb is a very big part of our body, and, and we could live life without a thumb. There are plenty of people that are missing body parts that still live and are able to function. They just don't function well, not, not like they should, right? Because that's necessary. And I think that's for us. Okay, now we see these parts, uh, these aspects of a healthy church. Where do you fit in with that? What we know, what we believe, what we say we believe do not automatically make these successful relationships. As members of this body, we are in relationship with one another and relationship to the, excuse me, to the body as a whole. And so what makes words powerful, the things that we say, is the actions that flow through them. What makes correct thinking about God powerful and meaningful is the life that emerges daily from that knowledge. We must have correct thinking about our church and the relationships in our church, but that understanding is on display not in our words and our thinking, but in, actual, in how we actually treat others. We've all seen people that say one thing and do something else, right? I grew up hearing, I can remember my dad saying this to me. Uh, not all the time, but I can remember specifically a number of times where he says, do as I say, not as I do. And I'm, I'm sure you've all heard that before too. I don't know if Someone's actually said it to you, but I know that I've wanted to say that to my children before. Like, don't do what I just did, but, uh, right? But what sticks out to me, though, 
was how often in that moment, my dad saying that to me, I don't remember my mom saying it, so I just remember that my dad saying it to me, um, that what I ended up emulating was what he did rather than what he said. Um, it's that I, I did or I said what I saw or what I heard, not, not the telling me to do the opposite of that. Um, and I feel like the truth of that is in our relationships among one another in the church uh, can be that way too. You know, we can hear all kinds of things up front, right? It may be an admonishment to do this or that or an encouragement. You must do this. You must do that. Um, ways to live our lives. But if we as a church said all those things but did something different, then all we're doing is just lip service and you stop listening over time. You, 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 you don't do, you, it, it, it ends up being empty words, right? So if I don't heed my own advice and I don't live out what I'm saying, right? I end up being, and you as well, any of us, we end up being like that noisy gong in 1 Corinthians 13, right? That I talk, but there's no depth, there's no substance. We are called to be doing for one another. Our actions are not what saves us or sanctifies us, but if our actions don't follow our words, if we talk the talk but don't walk the walk, then we become like the tree in Luke 6.44, right? The tree is known by its fruit. The Bible has many passages on the one another's. We've already gone over that a couple of times about the one another's. We went through each of those. But let's go to, I thought I had this written down, I don't. Yeah, Mark 10. Mark 10, 35 through 45. I was going to read it to you, but I can't if I don't have it in front of me. And also, I can't read it without my glasses. And James and John, the sons of Zebedee, came up to him. This is, they're coming to Jesus. And they say to him, teacher, we want you to do for us whatever we ask of you. Can you imagine saying that to Jesus? I can't. They'd walked with him for a while. And he said to them, what do you want me to do for you? And they said to him, grant us to sit, one at your right hand and one at your left in your glory. Jesus said to them, you don't know what you're asking are you able to drink the cup that I drink or to be baptized with the baptism with which I am baptized? And they said to him, we are able. And Jesus said to them, the cup that I drink, you will drink. And with the baptism with which I am baptized, you will be baptized. But to sit at my right hand or at my left is not mine to grant, but it is for those for whom it has been prepared. And when the 10 heard it, they began to be indignant at James and John. And Jesus called them to him and said to them, you know that those who are considered rulers of the Gentiles lord it over them, and their great ones exercise authority over them. But it shall not be so among you. But whoever would be great among you must be your servant. And whoever would be first among you must be slave of all. For even the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. So out of that passage... What is it that leads to the conflict there among the disciples? 
What's happening there that's causing that conflict? Why is that request from James and John causing conflict among the, uh, the 12 disciples? They all want it, right? Yeah. Yeah, they all want to be at the right hand of God, right? So then what does the, what truth is Jesus teaching them? What does he say in response to that that teaches them the tr- What's the truth that he's teaching them? What's that? Yeah, right. The serve the pathway to greatness is found in humility. Right? We need to serve one another. We need to be focusing on serving others. When we think about our relationships in this church, among people that we're close with, those that are our friends, and those that we're not as close with. How many of them ultimately revolve around making sure our concerns are heard and our self-defined needs are met? Now, I think there would be people that would say, I don't do that. I'd probably say this about myself, right? But we really go to what's comfortable. When we are in a, a group and we have a church fellowship and we're all in, you go into a room and it's full of people, right? We tend to gravitate towards those we're closest with. We tend to gravitate towards those who are already in our small group, right? It's easy. That's natural. It's understandable, right? That's just it's who I'm going to go. That's what I'm, I'm, I'm going to do. But think about this in a, on a different, um, a different way to think about this. Is think about those that you love the most, who are you're, you're the closest with, right? I'm married. I have three children. And uh, there are times that I recognize I am committed to thinking about how they can make my life more fulfilling to me. Now, I don't think those actual thoughts are like, how can each of these four people help my life more fulfilling? I don't think those actual thoughts are. But here's where I, I know this is true, is because how easily I get irritated when I have to give up my personal comfort to serve them. That's when I recognize I'm focused on me, not them. And this is people that I love. I haven't even begun to like talk about the difficult people. You know? Do you ever see that in yourself? This is the first step in becoming a servant to others and being great in our relationships is to think of others. We need to see how much of a servant that we are not, that we aren't, before we can start to become a servant. The disciples had to learn this too, which means we're in good company, right? These are guys, 12 normal men, who spent several years with Jesus, in his presence, seeing him minister, listening. All what's written in Scripture, there was plenty of things that are not written in Scripture that we know he's surely... He's sitting and talking with them, right? They're spending time with him. And yet they were so thick-headed that uh, they were there contending for power and position. It was a lesson Jesus felt was important enough to stress even as he was preparing for his own death. 
John records for us in John 13 how Jesus intends for us to follow him. Through words and actions, Jesus gives his disciples instructions that will help them change the world. I want to read that one to you as well. John 13, 1 through 17. Now, before the feast of the Passover, when Jesus knew that his hour had come to depart out of this world to the Father, having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end. During supper, when the devil had already put it into the heart of Judas Iscariot, Simon's son, to betray him, Jesus, knowing that the Father had given all things into his hands and that he had come from God, and was going back to God, rose from supper. He laid aside his outer garments and taking a towel, tied it around his waist. Then he poured water into a basin and began to wash the disciples' feet and to wipe them with the towel that was wrapped around him. He came to Simon Peter, who said to him, Lord, do you wash my feet? As a question. Jesus answered him, what I, am doing to, what I am doing you do not understand now, but afterward you will understand Peter said to him, you shall never wash my feet. And Jesus answered, if I don't wash you, you have no share with me. So Simon Peter says to him, Lord, not my feet only, but also my hands and my head. And Jesus said to him, the one who has bathed does not need to wash except for his feet, but is completely clean. And you are clean, but not every one of you. For he knew who was to betray him. That was why he said, not all of you are clean. When he had washed their feet and put on his outer garments and resumed his place, he said to them, Do you understand what I have done to you? You call me teacher and Lord, and you are right, for so I am. If I then, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you also ought to wash one another's feet. For I have given you an example that you also should do just as I have done to you. Truly, truly, I say to you, a servant is not greater than his master, nor is a messenger greater than the one who sent him. If you know these things, blessed are you if you do them. So we see Jesus leading by example. The greatest leader ever. Now, not every one of us is a leader. In the sense that not everyone is going to be up front leading. Not everyone is going to be leading the church leading a Bible study in some way. We don't all have roles like that in the church, but we all can lead by our example. We all can be an example to other people. As Christ's disciples, our lives can be examples of what it means to be a disciple. This verse shows us that disciples of Christ and members of this church and members of the body of Christ are required to serve one another. When we choose not to serve others, but ourselves instead, we place ourselves above Christ. A servant is not above his master. Now, I talk with people about serving. I'll counsel people, and there will be reasons why they don't serve. Um, Sometimes it's good reasons, other times... Oftentimes, it's not great reasons. Um, but, but I think we, we can fall into the trap of thinking that I can't serve because this or that that's going on in my life. Um, but one of the things I want us to understand is that circumstances do not determine whether we serve. One of our most common excuses for not being more loving and helpful 
is our circumstances. When we're weighed down with difficulties, what's the first thing we want to do? We, we don't want to do anything. We want others to do something for us. We want to be served and not serve. Now, don't hear me say this like, oh, our circumstances have no impact on that. For sure. I can break my leg. Well, then I'm not going to go help someone rake leaves, right? I can't do that physically. That, so those circumstances do affect my serving in some way. But does that mean that I, now I can't serve at all? No. That's what I'm saying here, that typically the excuse is I'm just so busy. I just have too much that I can't serve. People can be busy, and life throws a lot at us. And I don't see that changing in our culture. It is wise, though, to take time every once in a while and to examine your schedule. Examine your life. What are you spending your time on? What are you prioritizing? What should you be prioritizing? Because when we get our priorities out of whack, our serving gets out of place as well. And I can tell you, when life gets busy, usually the first thing that goes is serving other people. I can't do it. I won't do it. When children press in on us, um, especially like they press in as soon as we get home from work, we're suddenly reminded of all of our responsibilities. We may think, well, don't they understand? I have a job and I've got things I got to do. I don't have time to look at what they've built immediately. I, I don't have time to see what they've drawn. I've got important things. I can't be concerned about playthings. Those race through our minds. And then we may feel convicted and um, we try to rationalize it. You know, I might say, I, I'd be more patient if I didn't have to worry about my bills and getting my work done. I'd be kinder and gentler father and mother if these kids would be less aggressive and more obedient and more respectful. Or maybe you're past having kids in the home. That's, that's on past. You're not doing that. And, but maybe you get a text from someone in the church and they, they're looking to get coffee or lunch. It's like, great, yeah, I'll get coffee or lunch with you. And you move your schedule around and work it out so you can get together with them. And conversation's going great. We're just talking about life. And then it happens. They tell you that they've got something heavy going on in their life and they're looking for help. They're asking you what they should do. They need someone to walk through that struggle with them. And you've, now you've got a, a problem. Well, what am I going to do? I'm busy. I don't have time to deal with this. I, don't, I got nothing for you because I, I got barely enough time for myself. Or you may just not want to. Oh, this person asking for help again, right? These are struggles that we go to. And you think, looking back on that, well, if I wasn't so busy, sure, I'd have time to do this. If I, if I didn't have so much on my mind, I could, I could help you. If my circumstances were easier, I'd be a better servant. If I could take care of my cares, I'd be more caring, we are in the circumstances we are in, 
because God sees fit for us to be in them. And he is using them with the ultimate goal to sanctify us. He is molding us more and more into Christ's likeness. And no matter what our circumstances, we are commanded to be holy as he is holy. In fact, it's those circumstances that God has allowed in our lives that he is using to mold us into that holiness. It's easy to say I'm stressed or concerned, but those don't even compare to the place that Jesus was at in John 13. Think about that. What were the circumstances in John 13? What is that? Dirty feet, dirty feet right? But what is it? What before the dirty feet? What's on Christ's mind at that time? He's about to leave them, teach them a lesson. How's he going to leave? He's going to the cross and he knows it. He knows that the people that he has created are going to kill him. And not in a simple, easy way. It's going to be painful. He knows that he's going to be carrying on his shoulders the wrath of God. And what does he do? He serves them, right? He serves his disciples. It would have been very easy for him to go, don't you all know what's going to happen to me? Comfort me. This is very hard for me. Let's, let's talk about the pain I'm going through. Yet he says nothing about that. In that moment, he doesn't. He just serves without self-pity. This isn't normal serving. This is miraculous in some way. Because when our circumstances are difficult, it feels like a miraculous act to serve someone else. But that's the example that Jesus leaves for us. It's what he did. He calls his followers to do the same. We should never minimize the humble service of one person to another. It's a sign of God's grace at work in that person's life. Now, there can be times when we have somebody that needs a lot, or at least they say they need a lot. They're, all, they're asking time and time again, right? And we just say, ah, maybe they're not worthy of it. But someone's worthiness does not determine whether we serve. Jesus not only serves in the midst of this great crisis, he is serving the very ones who don't deserve to be served. As Jesus' eyes scan the room, I wonder what he's thinking. He sees Judas. We read that in there. He knows that he's going to betray him and hand him over to the Roman authorities. He sees Peter. Peter's going to deny him. The other ten are going to scatter. They're going to run away. They're not going to be there. Though in this moment, they say they will. They don't, and he knows it. And he still serves them. This is no small deal, what he's doing. He's washing dirty feet. This isn't just like telling somebody, good job, way to go, just to give them praise. This is even 
bigger than making a meal for a mother who just gave birth or taking out the trash when it's someone else's job. This is getting down and dirty and quite intimate when he is about to die. Think of all the areas of worthiness we consider when we're faced with serving someone. We consider whether they're going to appreciate what we do for them. Or we consider past times we've been burned. I don't want to get burned again, so I'm not going to do it. Or we consider whether they'll expect more. Well, if I do this, this may start the process of having to do it over and over again. Or, what have they done for me? Have they ever, have they served? Well, if they're not served, I'm not going to serve them. We may consider their sin or their selfishness, um, how critical they may be. All these considerations are, are weighing, uh, we're weighing out how worthy we feel this person is to receive our service to them. But Jesus calls us to serve and to move into people's lives even when it means risking being vulnerable, being unappreciated, underappreciated, being pushed, annoyed, unrecognized, even when it means serving the selfish and the weak. Jesus is calling us to love those people with compassion. You know, think about the one or two people who have uh, most significantly impacted your life for good. Weren't humility and servanthood a, a large part of their influence? I think about the people that have served me well over the years. And I can feel like at times guilty that I did not appreciate that in the moment. That person has no idea how well they, their, the way they served me, how that affected me. You know, our position does not determine whether we serve. Jesus is God, creator, king of the universe, yet he chose to serve and to, be, to humble himself by washing feet and dying on the cross. He went to the cross on our behalf so that we can be washed and our sins forgiven so that the Holy Spirit could dwell within us. This is what Jesus meant when he said to Peter, unless I wash you, you have no part with me. Accepting God's grace in his gift of salvation is the first step in being able to show grace and to serve others. By the Spirit, we have the power to show grace and to serve others. This requires a daily cleansing from God. It's what Jesus meant when he said to Peter, a person who has had a bath needs only to wash his feet. Jesus means that we are cleansed and justified by his death on the cross, but we still need daily cleansing and sanctification. See, we can't only live on past grace. We also need present grace. The moment we move out into the world, we face trouble and temptation. And we become involved in conflict and persecution. There are times we go to serve with right motives and it is not received well. And then we have to 
struggle with our own heart. There'll be times we want to quit. There'll be times where we wonder if it's worth following Jesus. At these times, we need the work of the Spirit to remind us of our own sin and remind us of the grace that is available to us that we receive daily. The service Jesus rendered for us in his life, death, and resurrection is not only not only for forgiveness of sins or for a place in heaven, it's also for the daily power to change in the here and now. We're not just promised life after death. We're promised a life now. So whoever wants to be great must become a servant. We have the perfect model in Jesus. Serving is never optional if we claim Jesus as our Lord. Now serving, when I'm talking about serving and all of this, as I wrap this up, I don't just mean serving in the nursery, right? If you're a lady in this church, they're going to ask you to serve in the nursery. It's just the way it's going to be, right? You get to have that opportunity sometimes. Maybe you're not going to do that. That's fine. There's all kinds of other opportunities to serve. I can give you a long list. It's fine. But, it, but serving other people is not just those types of ministries. When you take time out of your Sunday morning and you go and you talk with somebody that you don't know, you introduce your, yourself you get to know them on a, a, a level more than just, hi, I'm Bob, I'm John, whatever. And we get to know who they are. You create a relationship that gives you the opportunity to get into their life, to give an opportunity to share God's word. You give an opportunity to know them, and they can know you, and that builds the body up. It strengthens it. We, as our church grows, we hope it grows. We pray that it grows. We want that to grow. That gets harder and harder the more and more people that come in here, right? It gets harder and harder. We're not going to know everyone in this church. Not on the level that we know our wife, or our husband, our children, our best friend. We're not called to know people that deeply all across the board. But we should make every effort to know people in a way that we can help to serve them, to care for them, and they can care for us as well. Also, another way to serve is to think about the leaders, those that are leading our, our kids in the, or you know, caring for our kids in the nursery, Sunday school classes, teaching uh, the adults, the Christ preaching, the elders, deacons, all of those things. And we're thinking about them and praying for them. When you start to think through who are our leaders, what are they doing, can I be praying for them? Uh, that is such um, a great thing that you can be doing, <laughs> to be praying for your leaders, thinking through them, talking with them on ways that you can pray for us. What are ways that you can serve us and serve others in the church? Knowing that we have a congregation and members who are as committed to seeing this church grow in their love for each other and love for Christ makes it that much more a joy to serve as leaders and under shepherds and deacons and all the others that are, that are leading people here. We need to be reminded of our need of grace, of forgiveness, so that we can offer grace and forgiveness to others. 
Anytime I find myself put out that somebody is coming to me again with this asking for prayer for the same sin, I have to be reminded of how many times I go back to my, the same sins. I got need to be reminded that I didn't get it. I don't get it the first time, all the time, when somebody tells me something, when I read it in God's word. When I am reminded of my need for grace and forgiveness, the result of that will be made manifest in me serving and you serving others by loving, accepting, honoring, carrying their burdens and bearing with them. One way to help give us the right perspective and mindset is to be mindful of how Christ served us so that we can serve others. Looking for ways and opportunities to serve instead of looking for excuses not to serve. I want our members in this church to be involved with what our church is doing. And by being involved, I don't just mean we need more nursery workers. I mean being involved with each other. Making sure that we are getting connected where we can. If you're having trouble getting connected, Bryce and I were just talking with somebody, and that's one of the things we talked about. Hey, I'm struggling to get connected or looking to get connected. Ask somebody. Ask a leader. We can, either we can help you or we can point you to somebody to get connected. We want people getting connected. And we, we try and be, um, yeah, like, have a good view of that, of those that we see kind of being flies on the wall, try and help them, whatever that may be. Um, doesn't always mean that they're just being hard-hearted. They don't want to serve. Usually people are going through something, and we want to help them through that as well. But you can do that too. It doesn't just have to be the leaders that do that. When we're connected with people and we're seeking people out, when we are talking about God's word, when we are sharing what God is doing in our life with others and asking what God is doing in other people's lives, and they're telling us that, when we are using God's word to counsel and to care, to love for one another, when we are bearing one another's burdens, meals and babysitting and all of those other things that we can be doing, caring for their cars and homes or whatever that, help them in those areas. It strengthens the body and it gives an example to the world that is countercultural. <laughs> it's different than what the world sees. So I pray, I hope that as we think about these 9, 10, 11 marks that we talked about, and we can be, um, take those things and say, these are really good. How can we help to encourage that and strengthen those areas?